Basically, I enjoy being a terrible human being and <laughs> writing about really unpleasant things and then sharing them with people in a way that makes them feel slightly uncomfortable, but also kind of entertained at the same time. Last week's episode was an episode that had a lot of background sound and also an episode where I wasn't very happy with my performance as a host, as a conversationalist, maybe even as a person when I was editing it back. I didn't like what I was hearing. This week's episode has a lot of background sound again, but crucially... I'm much happier with the way that this conversation went. The background sound isn't too irritating, I don't think, in this one. It's a lot of songs, not too much talking. The fact that you can hear the songs quite well means there's more umming in this conversation. So generally speaking, everyone ums, but often I take those ums out. But in this episode, it breaks up the flow too much to take that umming out because of the background music. Also, this episode contains spoilers for Hannibal and some discussion of issues around trauma, around self-harm, around sex and sexuality and those sorts of things. And this was just a story that somebody had decided, I want this story to be in the world, I'm going to write it, and they had. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. I want to get better, better, better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with Muffy. Hello, Muffy. Hello. (laughs) Right, yeah, so to give people a little bit of an explanation of why they can hear music in the background, we're in a pub in Brighton. I've just lost a file of a conversation that I really loved having that I've lost. So if I seem uh, if I seem off, that might that might be why. Although maybe that'll make me really on it because I'm determined to have an amazing conversation to make up for the fact that I'm stupid. So the first question that I ask everybody is, how do you know me? Right. Well, I met you doing one of your stand-up tragedy events. Um, I think it was the tragic spring, if I'm remembering properly, where I was invited to come along by Matilda uh, Gregory. She was running a section of the show, and it was to do with tragic bodies. And so the first time I met you, I think, was when I was standing on a stage talking about how I really enjoy writing about horrible things happening to the bodies of fictional characters. That's right. So that seemed like that seems like a great starting point for any introduction to any person. So absolutely, I, I enjoyed meeting you then. <laughs> Don't <laughs> right. know how you felt about that. No, I loved it. I loved it. I loved. I loved Matilda's whole section of that show. I mean, that was. Uh, yeah, so I've been getting people to kind of uh, put together my the second act of the show, Stand Up Tragedy, that I run. I did that all the way through the London shows in 2015. And so you were in a kind of unique position on being on my lineup, but someone who I didn't book. It's even more exciting to hear performers you have no, no knowledge about where they're coming from and what they're going to do. Um, so that was exciting in itself. And then, yeah, the topic you chose to talk about is a, a really interesting one. And so it was, was really great to hear about. The second question that I ask everybody is what do you do now? Which is a difficult one to answer because I do quite a lot of different things but all on a very very small scale because my basic way of approaching what I would like to do is to find something that I'm really really into and then just talk incessantly about it to enough people who eventually let me do that on a platform. So one of the things I'm doing at the moment is this thing called Slash Night where I get to talk about my love of fandom well, basically, a group of people gather every six months in a room and share how much we love reading fan fiction and stories of our, say, our favourite same-sex couples getting together. Um, and so I get to stand on the stage and uh, embarrass myself on a regular-ish basis. Um, so I do that is my only performing thing that I'm doing at the moment. Everything else is still very much from the comfort of my bedroom, writing the stories and the talks that go into these events, ordering pictures of the things that I'm imagining happening. Um, so that's that's kind of what I do. I mean, <laughs> yeah, 
I mean, that is, that's, a, that's an answer. I mean, the, 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 the question is set up so that people can give any answer they want, really. I know, and I feel as though I should really have taken much more advantage of this by being much funnier about it. Basically, I enjoy being a terrible human being and <laughs> writing about really unpleasant things and then sharing them with people in a way that makes them feel slightly uncomfortable, but also kind of entertained at the same time. Occasionally it'll make them feel guilty for enjoying it, but ultimately I would quite like to overcome that shame and guilt aspect of it and just try and encourage other people to just revel in the fact that they've really enjoyed somebody else being a terrible human being right. by enjoying all these horrible stories. So that's one of the things that I really like to engage with people on, and um, just being as atrocious and appalling as possible, while still trying to steer just about clear of being offensive. It's more about embracing things that we can enjoy in a healthy way, right. mostly. Right, looking at the kind of weird things about being ourselves like not like looking at those things without shying away from them but at the same time not necessarily endorsing like like not going too far with that I guess it's an interesting balance to appreciate that because I sort of a lot of what I do is about being awkward and sort of a terrible person in public I guess but like reflecting on it uh, so it's a similar kind of thing I guess that we both do so I mean when did like when did you get interested in fan fic and sort of slash fic and all that stuff Uh, When I was a teenager, funnily enough, which is, um, I think when a lot of people are trying to find little things which help guide them towards their identities or to find out what it's likely to be. When I was a teenager, I was typically awkward and not very good at being sociable, despite having friends. I was always trying to find ways to kind of hide in other other worlds, so I did a lot of reading. Um, I got very into music as well, so I started buying The Enemy when I was a teenager, because um, I didn't like reading those girls' magazines at the time, which were always trying to tell you that whatever you were doing was probably the wrong thing, and that however you looked probably wasn't quite good enough so I thought I was being really really smart by bypassing all this kind of subtle misogyny and just going straight to the pages of the NME magazine and Melody Maker which didn't tell you that your hair was wrong or you are really brave going out in public with a body like that and all those other things Um, those papers just generally didn't really acknowledge that women existed at all so as far as I was concerned I'd I'd bypassed this whole load of self-shaming so really really loved my music my bands and I still do Um, but what I started to discover as well was that not only were there all of these bands who looked pretty cool uh, Manic Street Creatures were one of the bands I was really into at the time Um, but at the time I also had a friend who she was the first one of us to get the internet and this is probably giving away my kind of age bracket now by saying this Um, I was 14 my friend had the internet we both loved the Manics and one morning she comes into school and she's got this brown envelope and inside are three pages of April paper with size 11 times new Roman font of something that she's found on the internet which is a pretty big deal to us at that age um, at that time and she shows it to me and I'm sort of trying to read this in the back of my history textbook at the time and it's this story about how Uh, One mystery woman um, finds herself in a lift with James Dean Bradfield and Nicky Wire of the Manic Street Preachers, uh, having quite um, an intimate experience with them. And there's 14-year-old me looking at this going, Oh my gosh, I never knew this existed. I never knew that people wrote stories for people like me or about people getting what they wanted out of situations because I was much more used to just seeing the sort of magazines targeted very much at sort of straight cis men the kind of lots of flesh on display that kind of thing and I wasn't seeing anything about what women might be interested in or what people like me would be into and so this was my first experience of it and this was just a story that somebody had decided I want this story to be in the world I'm going to write it and they had but at the time as well because I was 14 and I was really really angsty um which is probably common to most 14-year-olds, I think. Um, I had a real problem at the time with this particular story and the fact that there was this woman in it. And at the time, I hadn't really quite figured out that um, it was okay to view women um, 
in ways other than just simply like barometers of my own comparative lack of worth um, when sort of compared to them. Like I was reading the story and going, yeah, but there's no way I could see myself in her position. Because at the time it hadn't really occurred to me that kind of positive representation of a woman getting what she wanted out of a scenario might actually be a good thing. I hadn't quite made that leap of confidence and self-worth at the time. So um, knowing that stories like this existed, I thought surely there has to be something more more catered to my interests perhaps and so I spoke to my friend about this and she understood that really what I wanted was uh, just something which was just about the dudes um, but with loads and loads and loads of angst right <laughs> and so sure enough a week later she turned up and she found this story for me and it was just about the guys from this band just just two of them just just being really really angsty there was all the stuff that teenage me absolutely loved um lots of references to self-harm that was kind of part of their thing and uh, lots of crying as well I particularly enjoyed the crying right, I remember okay. um, this is what I mean about being a terrible person I don't think you're a terrible person <laughs> um, I'm, I'm speaking fairly mildly about it at this point but there, there, there are scales I think desire is never like it's, it's, you can't make it like politically correct if you like yeah I mean I'm all in favor of political correctness but you know it's okay to like whatever you like I think and you know that anyway because you know I'm kind of telling you something that you probably would would say back to me uh, in a different context but I mean just for, for the listeners to know that I think that it's okay to like whatever you like even if it's really really problematic and that's not that problematic I mean, I think liking men, liking men crying, liking that kind of thing is actually. I mean, I like men crying. I'd like more men crying in society. That'd be that'd be my, my like openly and comfortably and without shame, you know. Yes. So uh, I think you know, as far as problematic things go, go enjoying men uh, being all angsty and stuff and like feeling things and stuff. I think that's very un 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 unproblematic in some ways. I mean, the self harm stuff, like making that into a kind of exciting thing is probably like a little bit more questionable but you know Definitely. at the same time it's also a thing that people feel and there's nothing to feel bad about but, but anyway sorry okay. yeah no that actually that's something I've been thinking about quite a lot going off tangent from sort of the origins of the interest in fandom and the whole idea of being problematic about things um, it's actually what the next talk that I'm going to be performing is about being seen as problematic and debating whether it is actually problematic um, just because, as you say, some of those subjects are quite sensitive ones, like self-harm, for example. And a lot of the things that these fandom stories deal with, the more I've been reading them and then later writing them, um, the more it seems to become a space to accept that as an individual, you might be having quite a lot of very problematic thoughts, or you might be trying to work through things, or you might be trying to deal with concepts or even events um, or experiences that are personally quite troubling and one of the things that fandom can allow people to do is to take all of those very very hurt or confused and upset feelings and transpose them into another reality Um, which is why I think a lot of the stories that I tend to find especially within fandom uh, which do err a lot towards the the more violent end of the spectrum perhaps um, are actually in some ways a way of dealing with those things safely not necessarily even fetishising them but just exploring things but in a way where it's safe to have that you've got a barrier of removal especially where it's a woman writing things about it being a man just because you can write about things happening to somebody who doesn't have a body that looks like your own if that makes sense so you can explore these themes of horrible things and people having terrible experiences without immediately feeling as though you've got the impact of that coming back on yourself you can explore it almost from a distance and that's that's only one aspect of fandom and fanfic Um, But it's one of the things I think a lot of people actually find very, very helpful to do, um, which is to talk about very personally troubling things, but safely, and you can create a kind of a fantasy reality around it where things get fixed, things get solved, um, 
people might act in the way that we hoped they might act the first time around or of course the opposite happens and everyone's just absolutely atrocious to everyone and you revel in it and but it gives you that option I think to explore that safe space and I know that even starting off as angsty teenage me I did start to discover that more and more and every time I had something slightly troublesome um, in experience generally that theme would then find its way into a story at some point interesting that's, yeah that's interesting and it makes a lot of sense to me like I mean I mean we're not necessarily we have, you haven't used the word trauma but I think that, that like a lot of the time to take control of traumatic events rewriting them is really therapeutic in whatever way like I find true storytelling to be um, a very therapeutic way of taking control of my own narrative to re, you know when I get to retell things that have happened to me yes in, you know with, in my words like rather than you know like feel like they're a trapped memory that are like stuck inside me that I can't can't get out so yeah yeah that's yeah. interesting that's really interesting and I think like you know fiction itself generally I mean does that like we can explore things in a safe environment because it's not real it's that's like, the beauty of it right exactly and also what you then find as well is you start to form a community as well or you become part of a community within these areas as well. So what you find is the people who will be reading these stories or posting them will be your peers and though there'll be a lot of communication, there'll be feedback and kudos and such given to you in response to these stories and you can write to other authors and say, oh, I really enjoyed this bit or um, give very constructive feedback. But where some of the stories you can tell there has been much more of an emotional unfolding of something going on within that narrative and when it's beyond just the straightforward kind of meet cute stories that a lot of fanfic is um, you do start to get a really really great bonding experience as well and fandom seems to be a really really great way that a lot of people come together so people who otherwise wouldn't have met or wouldn't have had a chance to have those conversations or those small exchanges which just kind of convey I think support, understanding, mm. or just mutual appreciation of each other's kinks. Like whichever way right. the interaction goes, it wouldn't have happened unless the two of you hadn't both been exploring this kind of fictional realm in which you're both really into the same fictional characters and seeing these things happening. Yeah. Um, so I really, really love that about it, and it's obviously it's not all about just dealing with um, traumatic events no, and no, no. E emotional carnage or sometimes it is and I absolutely love that side of it <laughs> but other times as well it's simply just a space to go actually this is what I'm really into and I'm not seeing this in mainstream media so I'm going to write it here and then you start to find other people who do and within fandom you tend to not have the gatekeepers who kind of go actually actually know these these narratives well this is a bit indulgent isn't it because the whole point of it is to be incredibly indulgent and it's a space which kind of it tends to exclude a lot of kind of straight cisgendered men um i think it's about time it's nice for there to be a safe space from that. And unfortunately, what's happening now, I think, is in public, I think more people are aware of what fan fiction is, what fandom is, what fan art is. And so you do end up with these talk shows periodically where um, somebody will go, oh, we've got a really important guest from a show like I, it happened with Sherlock, I think, where they, um, they got the actors on and then to show that they knew about what this fan fiction and this fandom thing was, they were reading examples of what fanfic was out to these actors and they were trying to get them to engage with it despite the fact that fandom didn't belong to them it wasn't about the actors it was about people finding their own safe space and so that was then brought out into a public forum mm. and that then introduced this a lot more criticism of fandom so you had lots of people saying oh gosh isn't this really funny and suddenly all these gatekeepers and criticizers that we've all been kind of hiding from just by posting on our forums and Tumblr right. were suddenly speaking to us from very public platforms saying, oh, isn't this a bit tragic? Isn't this terrible? Right. But sort of saying this in a way as though all these girls writing stories where things that they want to happen happen is laughable, despite the fact that pretty much 
90% of cinema or TV generally revolves around like a straight dude overcoming all these obstacles, having great life experiences and getting the woman of his dreams and that being the core narrative and then they're just being really kind of derogatory about the fact that a lot of women seem to enjoy writing about women getting what they want out of that instead. Right, how many, how many pieces of uh, popular fiction have we seen that are male fantasies? Exactly. And why shouldn't women have uh, fantasies too? I mean, and in fact, you know, people, all people, not just men and women. Like, you know, there is, there is this, there is this bias towards obviously, like, like it's obvious that there is a bias towards male fantasy, male like imagination, like the amount of times you see a a not conventionally attractive man getting a young conventionally attractive woman. Yeah, that's clearly nonsense to a certain extent, um, and that's okay in a way. It's okay to have yeah. room for fantasy and nonsense, Absolutely. but don't deny other people that bloody opportunity. You know, yeah, that's yeah, exactly. And so I think that's why I've got so much love for fandom, just because. As you say, it does. It includes all genders. It's basically anyone who's had their representation kind of knocked back a bit by the mainstream media. And it's another thing that happens as well in the media a lot is that they will hint at things being not quite as heteronormative as they actually are. Right. Sherlock's quite a good example. I'm really glad you said it before I did. I got told off so much last time I mentioned Sherlock um, queer baiting. But yes, I agree. <laughs> Um, where they know, they show that they've got this awareness that the fans are really invested in that and they see all this tension between kind of Sherlock and John or Sherlock and Moriarty and rather than respectfully acknowledging it but either saying yes we'll go with it or that's not the tone we're going for what they do instead is say we know you want to see it, we know you want to see it but we're going to make you look like an idiot for wanting it and that's one of the things that they did, I think, in the third season mm. when they had that first episode where um, the portrayal of the girl when she's imagining how Sherlock survived the fall um, and she imagines it with a kiss between Sherlock and Moriarty. Um, and the way she's portrayed is slightly unsympathetic, I thought. And she gets shouted down by the other people um, who are part of that kind of Sherlock support group, the men in that group. And so I just thought that was a particularly clumsy way of acknowledging their fandom um, because it still seemed to be leaning too much on the idea that it's silly little girls who are into this and there's no serious thought that goes into this. Whereas actually, Sherlock, the TV show itself, is fan fiction. It's reworks of the Conan Doyle works anyway. Um, And they seem in complete denial about that minor detail there, which is kind of integral to it. But yeah, sometimes they're quite unfair. Supernatural's another show which has done this very, very unsympathetically, where they created a character who was basically representative of all fandom, I think. What they did to her character was horrible. They sort of implied that she was really socially inept, terrible, had no self-awareness of what she was doing. Right. And just that she was this terrible kind of caricature of, of fanish behaviour. And they, they, it was the actress who played her as well was the girl from Ginger Snaps, so I was doubly upset. Um, I think she's great. And she acted it really, really well, but how she'd been written just seemed to show this real disconnect between what... what is actually what the actual perception of fandom is and what the showrunners perceived it to be, um, to the point that it came across as quite cruel. And they revisited that character, I think, a couple of seasons later, um, where they had a chance to redeem it and they, they managed to fluff it even more. And it wasn't until I, this show, for anyone who's never seen Supernatural, has been going on for about a million seasons yeah, now. Yeah, it's been going on ages. I don't, I haven't watched it, but I've been hearing about it for so long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's <laughs> endless, basically. But yeah, a few seasons after that, I think, I've lost track of it now. Um, but they've managed to actually say that in one episode that fandom might be an okay thing. But it took the male characters to say that. And at the same time, they have this big flirtation going on between two of the main male characters that one of the actors seems to be quite supportive of, and the showrunners and one of the other actors are just flat out, no, we would never do that, stop trying to ruin everybody else's fun, why would you do that? And yet they're baiting it 
really, really ex- sort of almost explicitly every time. So it becomes this tease of we know you want it, but gosh, isn't it ridiculous for you to want something like that? Right. Which I think's really unhelpful because it suggests the idea of, you know, a queer relationship being something ridiculous, right. which is desperately unhelpful, especially when you've got people who are watching and engaging with these shows and these fandoms who um, a lot of people are trying to work out their own sexualities um, and then to be told that, oh no, you can't be gay, as though gay is still this big kind of mystical, we can't show it, we can't mention it, we can't reference it. When that's not true, you can reference it. There's no need for there to be this... Um, kind of hiding of it or mocking of it um, I find quite a lot of it quite unhealthy and so I regularly I get quite cross about certain shows and then I regularly um, accidentally antagonise people who are really really into those shows because right. I don't want to say like oh no the show's terrible because these are things that I enjoy as well I really yeah. enjoy Sherlock I to a point enjoy Supernatural um, but I find it much harder to watch it without getting angry but at the same time, I get quite frustrated with some of the flaws and how they treat fans in that, I think. Yeah, I mean, like, so, like, basically the the sort of slash stuff that you enjoy is, I mean, and slash generally as a, a genre is about people who are not, who are not men, like, enjoying men getting together, right? Yeah, that's, um, that's generally it. So not, it's not like the gay male gaze, it's like people getting into watching I guess gay experiences but told from out like it's very interesting interesting layers to the way it works I mean do you want to talk a little bit more about that and, and maybe sort of like why why that might be in your view um, definitely it's a big mystery <laughs> um, <laughs> there's your short answer yeah, sure um, no I think there are lots and lots of levels to it I think one um comes down there is the definite appeal of people wanting to write stories that they that are romantic stories and to view romance in a way that they're not a participant of so you do get a lot of people who like to view a romance but without women they can compare themselves to and so the obvious solution is just just put the men together that's an easy fix um, especially if the men are both devastatingly attractive, I will put two devastatingly attractive men t- together. That's that's a win. So that's that's I think possibly one facet which influences it to a degree. But to just say it's that is incredibly reductive because there's so much stuff going on there. A lot of it as well. A lot of people exploring these stories. Gender identities are seldom think they're 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 not always completely set in stone. So you've got people exploring that aspect of themselves which fandom is the absolute greatest place to do that with and um, because one you have kind of got the safety barrier between the people who are likely to come in and tell you you're wrong but you can explore your own themes um, say if you want to explore more masculine themes if you're female if you're non-binary you can delve into those other perceptions and outlooks to the point you get a lot of people learning an awful lot about male anatomy, male sexual practices, all kinds of stuff like that. This mm. information's being shared a lot. So there's that degree of it. There's also a representation thing as well, I think, which is a lot of the people... It's not all straight women writing this. You've kind of got quite a spectrum of genders and sexualities there. And it is incredibly frustrating watching shows where I think it's 98% of all television is straight, which is not really a particularly representative statistic of how society is, Right. where obviously the balance is a lot, it, it, it's not just 2% of the population. Absolutely. Um, I mean, it, gay people and people, like, there's a whole, like, it's, it's not just gay people as well, there's, like, LGBTQIA people exactly. are, are a larger percentage of the population than 2%. Exactly. They are not the majority of the population, and that is, I mean, that is true too, but that, but that is, and, and also what even, I, I, I don't know, I, I often think that the percentages would vastly change if we could all just be completely open and honest with ourselves outside yeah. of the boxes that sort of a patriarchal system, if you like, yes. um, puts around us all. 
I think it would be an even higher percentage than what it is. I don't know what the actual percentage is, but it's definitely more than two. Definitely. I think it was guessed at at 10%, but I completely agree. I don't think that's something you could properly quantify just because there are so many definitions and so many things which, as you say, do not belong in those boxes. For viewers of this, of TV and films or consumers of written media or anywhere where a fandom springs up, basically, there's just a general desire for it to not be completely heteronormative because it starts to become just really irritatingly unrealistic to a point. And then you also have shows where they'll be exploring very strong same-sex friendship in films where this happens. And that's where you tend to get the most um, furious arguments within fandoms um, because you see these, this portrayal of strong male friendship. Um, I'm going to use Captain America and Bucky here as my uh, example of choice because, um, you know, that's been existing in comics for kind of 50-plus years right. or probably a lot longer, actually. Right. Um, but that's just a straightforward... As far as we know, both characters are heterosexual... They're just very, very good friends. That's fine. And at the same time, there is a temptation to go, yes, but what if? And so what fandom will do is maybe consider the what ifs and write stories about all kinds of what ifs. And there are loads, so many. Um, A lot of them are really, really good as well. But then what fandom will also start to do is say, okay, so we've got the canon representation, which is in the comics and in the movies which is, it's very, very straight. Captain America being the kind of all-American... Straightest of the straight, really, in some Pretty ways. much. And so it's quite hard to make an argument that, yeah, but actually, isn't he a little bit in love with his best friend? Um, and so you always get debate over whether these statements of grand and extreme friendships could actually be taken as canonical representations of romantic intent... And so there's always this kind of debate going on between does that have to be proved to be canon or not? Um, Can you not just say, here is the interpretation that I would like? That can exist in tandem with what I think other people are seeing when they watch the films or read the comics. Um, But then you do start to get people quite aggressively saying, no, look, look at this scene here. Look at this bit when kind of Captain America's being punched by Bucky and look at his eyes. Those are the eyes of somebody who's desperately in love. And so you do end up kind of being drawn into these squabbles with people, which I tend to just back away from as soon as one starts, to be honest. Right. Um, but there is a real hunger, I think, to see something where a relationship like that can actually become canon, as in it becomes acknowledged by the people who created right. the original thing and just because in some ways it's it's a way of validating the fact that yes we do want to see this and okay why not there is no reason to not show it apart from with Captain America it would probably upset loads and loads and loads of fanboys but you know I mean they get upset anyway and like you know they deserve to get upset in some ways I think I mean, not to say, you know, I'm I'm very well aware that that's a provocative thing to say, but I think, you know, fans don't own the art that they enjoy, which means, and and no fan does. So, you know, everyone's open to their own interpretation. That's what art's about. And if we start saying that person's interpretation is rubbish and this person's interpretation is great, then that's problematic. But when it's that person over there who is a woman... Uh, their opinion is wrong, rubbish but this person over here who is a man their opinion is great that's even worse uh, yeah. yes no I completely agree and especially going back to what you said about um, antagonising the fanboys um, not being that bad a thing it's actually something I've actively started doing <laughs> not, not I, I, sure. I make this sound as though I've been going on some big crusade to wind up um, fans of Marvel and I'm just talking about the context of people who I work with some of the guys I work with um, who we talk about comics and films quite regularly Uh, but when we did the last Slash Night event I make the posters for these and we always try and pick a a couple a, a sort of 
Um, characters who'd be well enough known um, for people to know what the night's going to be about. And so I actually did a drawing of Steve kissing Bucky, it's and a, we made it the poster it's image. It's a really nice image. People should look it up online. <laughs> it's really, it is really nice. Thank you. Um, but yeah, my, my colleagues at work were not particularly happy with me. Um, and the argument that I used with them was pretty much what you said, which is that they do not have total ownership of those characters in the same way that I don't have total ownership of them either but I wanted to see them in that way they really really didn't want to see them that way at all to the point that one of my my friends asked for the next Slashlight poster please could I not do that could I just go back to drawing Hannibal and Will again which just made me want to draw Steve and Bucky even more (laughs) so that's what the next poster is going to be of a second, a second, a second, second Stephen Bucky, yes. Well, yeah, and the, and the more that they get, people get annoyed, the more that will always be the case. If people keep on doing this, you'll, you'll never stop, you'll never be able to stop drawing that. I know, I know, I was <laughs> going to draw Iron Man into the mix, but I don't like Iron Man as much, though. So. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's fun, it's, I'd say it's, I refer to it as antagonism, but what it does do as well is when we're having these kind of arguments when we're having our breaks at work is it still draws that into debate and maybe the idea that these characters do not just belong to them and that one straightforward portrayal is something that's not always discussed or or brought out and so it's quite fun to be able to bring that into dialogue but also it's fun to just wind them up as well I, I mean sometimes how do the like the people who write the stuff that you're fans of or the people who perform that where do you see them them standing in terms of ownership of all of this it's really really varied and um, this is where I think my opinion might be a bit skewed because I'm quite lucky um, in that the fandom that I've been the most active within is the Hannibal fandom which this is to do with the TV show uh, based around uh, Hannibal Lecter and Will Graham rather than the Silence of the Lambs movies. Indeed. Which this TV show, it's really visually stunning, it's really well written, it's quite full on at times um, and absolutely grotesque. But it has got this massive, massive amount of tension running through it, um, which has been an absolute delight to watch over three seasons. And so you've got loads of fans who are watching this and kind of going, is there something going on between those two? And as in case if if you haven't seen it, the way this plays out over three seasons is it basically it gets far more intense. They're always trying to kill each other. Um, And then towards the end of it, they're just having all these outright discussions about, wait, is he in love with me? And then it ends in the most romantic way possible between these two male characters. So as a fandom, we've got that content to work with where we're probably used to using things where we basically have to make an entire story out of two people looking at each other. We're kind of going, oh my gosh, all the stuff we'd normally be writing about happening in fantasy, it's all happening in the show anyway. But then the showrunners, the creators of this show, rather than the creators of some other shows... Um, they're much more engaged with the fan base. Um, the creator is Brian Fuller in this case, and he um, has openly acknowledged that the Hannibal TV show is also a form of fanfic because it's a reworking of the original Thomas Harris novel. Right, similarly to Sherlock. Exactly, but he's very kind of open and embracing of that. And then um, they have the official NBC Hannibal Tumblr account. Uh, which the very fact that their official site they chose to do it from Tumblr, which is notorious for being very, very fandom orientated. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the fanfic slash fic kind of capital of the internet. Exactly, it's a <laughs> wonderful place. I spend far too much time there, and I love it. They ran it from Tumblr, and they were reblogging gift sets and fan-created content all the time, and adding tags to it, and being really, really encouraging of it. So we kind of had this really positive exchange already. And then they started reblogging fan art as well. And at first we were thinking, all right, yeah, no, they're, they're just reblogging some of the clean stuff. And as somebody who creates lots of fan art as well, and as somebody who creates some quite inappropriate images which go nowhere near my Facebook, but they, they're all on my uh, hidden Tumblr blog. I was quite surprised when I'd drawn quite a sort of indiscreet BDSM sort of picture of, of one of the main characters from the show. I'd find that the official account had liked that picture. 
and stuff. So there's this real engagement and endorsement going on with the fans where they're kind of going, we're creating this out of somebody else's work. You're creating this out of our interpretation of this. This is brilliant. Go for it. And so it's just... It's a way of um, basically acknowledging the fact that the people who are going to spend money on the show and uh, keep it in business, not to antagonise, wind them up, but to go, actually, carry on doing what you're doing, this is great. You're part of this. Exactly. Right. But, I mean, there are there definitely are, like, uh, show creators who have that kind of attitude. I mean, I think, like, the classic and, and, and where a lot of, you know, there's a lot of slash fic that kind of comes from this place but the classic is Joss Whedon like yes. you know when he set up Buffy I mean I'm a massive Buffy fan and, and one of the things he, he said about that show is he wanted every you to be able to imagine every character getting together like the idea is that every single character there's some kind of sexual chemistry between which yes. I think totally works and, and in it different really does. and in different episodes sometimes those characters will come together and actually the nature of Buffy means that they, that you can have a lot more variety of that you know because of the magical kind of elements to it uh, you can get to see all the different combinations happening in different episodes generally speaking although not quite all of them but but most most of them and the ones that don't happen it's still there there's still that chemistry so that's kind of like a clear intent and I think Joss Whedon does that with everything that he does which yes. is interesting because obviously he's also now like done some actual Marvel stuff and so maybe there is there is some kind of uh, canon element to that kind of sexual chemistry kind of idea but like Joss Whedon that's his explicit like intent and I guess there's going to be lots of writers and actors who aren't in like not not into it but they're just that's not what they were intending yeah and and does that matter um, it depends how much you want things to be canon, I think. And it's very interesting that you use Joss Whedon as the example because one of the other things that he's also famed for within um, fandom... Um, I don't know, are you familiar with the term Jost? No, I right. Like I should be. <laughs> this is basically when you're really invested in seeing a character getting together and it's been hinted at throughout the show... And then something happens within that show that says, no, absolutely, categorically not, this did not happen. Which I think he did with the Spike and Angel storyline. Like He kept that tension going yeah, on yeah, and implied that. an awful lot of stuff and then came out and went, nope, nope, absolutely nothing happened there. And so, um, to use the term just, kind of refers to somebody saying, canonically, absolutely flat out, no, that couldn't have happened, didn't happen. You can write about it, but there's no truth in canon to it whatsoever, which I think at the time that upset quite a lot of people because it's always nice to have something, if not acknowledged in canon, then at least just not completely shut down. Yeah, although at least it's like pro people still writing their different versions of it. Like I can imagine that some creators are going to be like, that's my thing. What exactly. the hell are you doing with my thing? Like, that's mine. And, and yes. I'm a creator of things. I don't have that kind of view, actually. I'm, I'm, I believe that art belongs to everyone and that, that it's co-created with the audience and that like, once you finish doing your thing and you put it out in the world, it's out there and that's great that other people are going to take from it and reinterpret it. Yes. That said, I know lots of people who are not like that, who don't feel like that, and their views are also valid. As, you know, and, exactly. So, yeah. Um, I think that those creators are probably not as vocal about it as they might otherwise be. I think I don't tend to hear that opinion spoken out loud that often, simply because I think they're aware that whether they agree with how fandom will treat something, whether they like that or not, those people will also still have quite a lot of influence in terms of viewership, readership. And for a creator to sort of say, actually hands off, can you stop writing these horrible stories where my characters just do these things to each other because, please, I don't want to think about that. Creators, I think, are generally a lot more quiet about that. Sometimes the actors um, are much more uncomfortable. And that's something as well where it can be quite tricky because the actors are kind of put in this middle space where... They are the representative of these characters and often the person being referred to when people are writing and drawing these stories. The actors have absolutely no obligation to engage with this at all. However, quite often people try and 
make them engage with it right. and sort of say, hey, by the way, here's this thing written about right. you. How do you feel about As this? As you were How saying about, about when the Sherlock actors were ambushed with that. At the, yes. at the, at the, I remember reading about that at the time. Yeah. I mean, and and I, I, I guess that's a complicated one, isn't it? Because I, I, can, I, can, I, can, I can understand how you might feel like if it's your body being described. Like, sure, um, this has been happening for years and years in lots of different ways. Mm. Um, and it hasn't happened as much to men, so in a way, shrug. But in a way, not shrug because you know we can't you it's know treat people with respect, and, yeah, and, and you don't want to kind of make people feel like I don't know violated or whatever. But that's a yes. very strong word to use for someone writing a story about an idea. Yeah, but I can see how an actor might feel complicated about that. For example, I mean, I'm sure for. for I'm sure that women women actors who find kind of pornographic descriptions of them that they they might find that very complicated to do exactly and, and I wonder if we would look at that slightly different than we might look at slash uh, fiction but I don't know no I think we definitely definitely would um, and there's a definite there is still a difference between I think presenting these things to a woman than to presenting them to a man in the sense that the woman already has an entire kind of backdrop of patriarchal input going in there to make her position much more difficult and then kind of referencing sort of saying here's you portrayed in this way that you as a human being are probably trying to overcome whereas with a man I think it would come down more to it just being an individual not very nice thing to do. There was actually something I was really curious about getting people's input into how they might feel in these scenarios and so I actually I was asking a couple of comic creators just just through the medium of Tumblr they're not people I know in person just to sort of say how do you think you would react I tried to phrase it in a very light-hearted funny way um, rather than suggesting I have like a 50,000 word opus about <laughs> them in particular but asking how they reckon they would feel about it the comic writer who responded it was this um, author called Kieran Gillen he's one of my favourite writers oh, yeah, he's I'm familiar with his work yeah he's absolutely great um, but he's also really good at giving very well thought out answers to things and he does also deal with fan created content quite a lot um, his Young Avengers series got loads and loads of fan engagement um, not least because it was a pretty much all queer team right. um, so I thought his opinion is one that I'm actually quite curious about Um and his response was absolutely great, um, which was, you can't police anything that anyone is into. And there is, this goes back to what you were saying, there's no real control over what people create um, and such. But whatever you do, don't show it to them. Which, to be honest, seems to be the stance that I take on things anyway. I create loads and loads of stuff, but I'm not going to then go up to the people and be like hey here's you yeah which, look at this exactly yeah. which although I say that and um, I think my profile picture on Facebook for a while was actually a picture of me showing a sketchbook to Maz Mickelson from the show Hannibal um, which I made a massive joke about at the time because it's it's got the name of my art blog on the front of it and I'm yeah that's not I do make these massively inappropriate pictures all the time so I thought it would be really really funny if he were to appear to be looking at my pictures, when it came to the actual photo shoot, I had absolutely no intention of showing him anything at all, to the point that I kind of bookmarked the pages which were to remain shut. Right. Showed him the blank page and said, could you pretend to look slightly horrified by this as my photo request? So I did kind of accidentally give the impression that I was being one of those terrible people, kind of going, look at my horrible stuff. But I, I didn't think it was particularly fair to at kind of 10, 11 in the morning to go up to this guy who's going to be working flat out for the day and be like, hey, so here's a picture of you boning your co-worker. Right. It just seemed to be not an interaction that I think anyone would particularly enjoy. But part of fanfic and slashfic is that they are shared amongst fans though, as well on the internet, right? Exactly. And so there is an element of like, once you put stuff out on the internet, and I, I know this myself, like yes. you can't control who sees it. So no, like, not at all. It, and, and actors are likely to Google themselves, as everyone is. And yes. so it's not 100% 
like definitely it's not going to get to those people but you're not trying to force them to see it exactly right. just that that wouldn't be what I would want to get out of it with the guys from that particular show they're they regularly talk about things they have found when they've been looking for them <laughs> frequently, in fact, including fanfics, but I think they just said that as a joke. But that's still, I think it's up to them to engage yeah. with it rather yeah, than yes. for it to be kind of forced on them. One of those events where everybody was very, very well behaved and not trying to make anyone feel uncomfortable. I think it's kind of important. Yeah, I think, I think, so. I think it's, it's very important to try not to make people feel uncomfortable. I mean, but then at the same time, I think it's also important for us to explore the uncomfortableness within ourselves and all of that stuff. And so I, I think you know, yeah. it's a very interesting kind of world and discourse that, that, that you're like, you're interested in, that you're kind of moving through in this kind of thing. I mean, I, I totally have no problem with it, like at all. Like I think, you know, I can see it complicated for an actor in the wrong situation. I can also see how some people think that they have some kind of ownership of their art, and I can, I, I can, I can acknowledge that people think that. I, mm. I don't, I don't see it as workable. But I don't believe in copyright and all this sort of stuff, which makes me very unpopular in in creative circles in some ways. <laughs> I mean, although it's more complicated than that, because I do believe in you know artists getting paid, so it's a complicated, complicated yes. thing. And obviously fanfic slightly is kind of like playing with, with with copyright with those kind of things people are like you know you're taking images and recreating them and, and re, re, taking them for yourselves and remixing them right and I yeah. I think everything is a remix that's my problem with copyright ultimately I don't know how I don't know how you can own anything like yes. in terms of an idea or a, a drawing or a, like any of that stuff I don't know how you can fully own that like to me art is an exchange it's a it's a collaborative process people put layers and layers and layers and layers and you know yes but it, I can see it's a complicated landscape and lots of opinions are valid and 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 much more like uh, knowledgeable people than me will have other, other things to say but from my point of view I, I think it's a really fascinating world like a real fascinating genre of of art making and it is art and it's made by pe people who are artists in that everyone can make art in, if they choose to and yes. you know, that's what's happening um, so I've got no I've got no problem with that world but like I don't understand it either but it's not for me you know it's like I'm a, I am a cisgender man so it's not my world I would say and it's very very racist it's just the idea of a community and that you find what you're into and you find a whole load of other people who are into it too and you can share share that with it that's the the social benefit from it right but I guess as well maybe in terms of you think about it in, as a friendship in a way of when you have friends who you can talk about day-to-day -day stuff, you might work in the same place, you get something from that friendship, and then you find a friend who knows and understands all the things you think about at night when you're not sure about the world and you're trying to figure stuff out, and they understand that too. Vandom could feel a little bit more like that. And then all the things I think as well that people might be encouraged to feel ashamed of thinking about and dwelling on, suddenly you're allowed to talk about them and nobody's telling you off for it. Um, that's one of the biggest things I think you can get from it. Because I think generally people are, all people are encouraged to feel a bit embarrassed, a bit ashamed of liking or wanting things too much. Right. Um, and wanting to engage with stuff. And this is basically a way of saying, no, it's fine. Right. It's fine. This isn't hurting anyone. It's in th so it's like celebrating enthusiasm to a certain extent. Yes. And so somewhere where the worst somebody can say is, oh, you're a bit of a geek about that, or someone's a bit of a nerd. That That's kind of as intrusive as it really gets with it. And yet everyone within this bubble who's sharing and engaging... Um, just gets to be like, yeah, yeah, we're a little bit nerdish in our tendencies, but we're having all this fun and we're not feeling bad about the fact that we're just enjoying something for the sake of enjoying it. Right. And so there's different sort of like, there's different genres that we're sort of talking about. So like to make mm. it like, to, to clarify it for anyone who's, who's not quite up to speed yet, like so Slashfic is 
sexual, right? Am I right? Yes. And fanfic is not necessarily sexual, so you can like write like a, a, an alternative version, different stories That's within really... the world of fic- of existing fictions. Yeah. And then fandom itself is like the name of the kind of communities that build around those two genres. Are there other other genres that I'm um, missing? No, I'd say that covers it. I'd say fanfic would be the broad, all-encompassing right. one because within fanfic you can get the alternate universe or other sorts of stories which belong there which aren't sexual. And then, yeah, Slash would be a component of fanfic right. where that, that's just based on the sexual side of right. it. Right, and that's all about desires and fantasies. That's the bit I understand the most, in a way. Like, in, yes. in the, like I, I, I get what people get out of those kind of things, even if those aren't my particular brand of, of pornography or, like, uh, erotica or whatever word we're going to use to describe something that's hard to describe, really, because... Yeah, all all of these words have weird baggages with them that like doesn't necessarily express our own desire. Like the word porn never seems to fit with anything I really feel, and and, and same with erotica. Both like that seems kind of elitist to me, and porn seems kind of like degrading to me. And I I don't think I have elitist or degrading fantasies. Um, Hopefully, (laughs) other people can make their own minds up about that. I guess. Um, although they won't, because I don't share my fantasies, whereas, you know, Slashfic is, is shared fantasy, which I think yeah. is, must be really liberating. It's a very interesting uh, way to go about about that kind of area of life. Yeah. Very much so as well, and there are also so many gradients within that as well, as talking specifically about the Slash side of it. So a lot of the really, really popular Slash stories are the ones which actually follow quite a conventional route where almost the Milton Boone-style romance of the meeting, the initial resistance, the conflict, the challenge and the eventual resolution and, and the, it's as much about it being a love story as it is it being a sexual story a lot of the time for the very, very popular books. But then there are so many stories around this which don't follow that kind of template or those themes where people will explore maybe the more um, things that you would probably not find in a Mills and Boone novel. Uh, For example, somebody might say, actually, I'm really into tooth pulling, and will include that in a story, um, which if you were going to present that to, say, a romance publisher, you'd probably find a bit of resistance with that, whereas with fanfic, because... It's unpaid. Anybody can do it. There's no gatekeepers. That's another exactly. part. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Anyone can do it. Um, you can say, well, I'm going to post this story involving tooth pulling. Um, I'm going to put a little tag, um, which the way that fanfic works, you put warning tags or content tags on any story that you do so that people have the ability to not read things that they definitely don't want to read. Um, or to read things that they really, really do do want to read. Um, And so somebody might look at the story and go, erotic tooth pulling? Maybe not for me, and skip past it. And somebody might say, erotic tooth pulling? I'm curious. Yeah, that's what I do. Yeah, which... um, that's a really, that's a really I mean, nice way now to Now I know this slash book about like, erotic tooth pulling, I'm, I'm, I'm inclined to go away and Google it straight away. <laughs> well, apparently there's only one story with that as a tag wow. on the entire Archive of Our Own, which Archive of Our Own is the site which has got the biggest collection. It's got about two million fan works now. So that that's where to look for, for these stories. But And yeah. that name itself is like... A reference to uh, a room of a room of one's own, right? Like an archive of one's own, right? Is that right? Um, archive of our of own, our though. Own. So I'm not oh, sure uh, okay. what the origins of that are actually. Okay. So interesting. But it does sound very much like it. It's our space, yeah. in a way. Um, and it's yeah. That's an, I mean, I like the idea of yeah. I like the sound of that that of that website. Like, it's mm. also, and I also I like the sound of it whilst also kind of understanding that in its name it's kind of saying this is not a space for you you," like to me but that's cool like that's great yeah Yeah. 
Although that said, there are a lot of stories which don't deal with the sexual element or which might just be, I've watched a really great TV show, but I think they really messed up the ending. I'm going to go and see if anyone's written a story where they wrote a better ending to it or something. Right. So that, that's another thing that does happen within fanfic. I don't really read those stories very much, though. I've not got much input for there. I'm all about the erotic tooth pulling. Right. Um, <laughs> so I can understand. If I was going to be into any part of it, it would probably be that part, I think. I mean, I, I think... I, mean, I know people who read, you know, fanfic that isn't uh, slash fic, and I, I, I totally support that as well. But at yeah. the same time, I kind of, I don't even have time to read anything. Like, I have no, I don't have time to read anything. I'm not going to read additional, like, additional kind of add-ons from fans, although I would totally support them. Yeah. I mean, I, would, I think I would, as a, as a, as a, as a writer, I would love. I, mean, I don't really do the kind of stuff that's ever going to get fanfic in that kind of way, but I think. I would love to see it. Like I, I think as a writer, I'd love to see reinterpretations of my characters done by yes. the other people. That would be well exciting. Yeah, no, definitely. And some people um, who are creators do talk about their sort of their ultimate wishes would be to write write fiction that people then do reinterpretive fiction or make fan out of. Um, and one of the other aims is people who create artwork for somebody to write fiction based on the artwork and such. So I think right. there are a lot of people who really love the idea of people engaging with what they've produced. Um, as I say, I don't hear as much from the people who don't want people to do that, yeah. either because they're not as vocal or because I don't see it or because they're just not anywhere near Tumblr. I, we, we sort of started the, the conversation and, you know, we were, like, talking about what we were going to talk about and it was, like, fandom and I was, you know, and I was thinking, I don't know if fandom's going to... For the whole hour. We're over an hour at this point. Um, Sorry, I can talk about fandom for a really long time. Don't have, you don't have to apologise. <laughs> I mean, the whole idea of this show is that people talk, so I love it when people find that easy to do, and uh, it makes my job easier, because I, you know, I don't have to coax them out of themselves, <laughs> um, which, you know, if I'm not careful, I won't do. I'll just fill in the space with my own thoughts. So it's, 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 it's great to have somebody who's also up for filling some space with thoughts. So yeah, it's been a real pleasure getting better acquainted with you. Yeah, I mean, I've really enjoyed the conversation. I've spent the whole of the conversation sort of like fascinated by what you've been saying, and at the same time, like there's been like a, a tiny part of like my brain off this side, like sort of like I, I'm trying to push away. That's like, damn you for deleting something by accident before no. you started. But I feel like at least I've managed to be mostly present, even if that little like needling little elf of anxiety and anger uh, kind of was kept off to the side of me so I guess I've now sort of created a little kind of fantastic like you know maybe I should have like if I'd have called it Dobby or something like that it would have fitted more into the into, actually, into this yes. conversation if I'd have made a little kind of fanfic version of my anxiety to like to have in the side of my brain it would have been more thematically correct but that, <laughs> I didn't do that um, but yes and uh, yeah it's been a real pleasure listeners will have hopefully enjoyed the background sound it's been kind of quite it's quite musical this this, this it's been so there was, yeah. there was some quite nice moments I think we'll see what I I'll see what listeners think I'm always very aware of listeners who don't like background sound and ones who do but there's been there was some quite nice kind of like moments when sort of I think there was like a funky sexy song came on at one point <laughs> like at an appropriate time and stuff like that so hopefully that'll just add layers to the piece of to, the, to this piece of co-created art that we're making um, just you know there we go some more layers to the to the to the to the art pot I don't know what I'm even saying at this stage um, <laughs> the last question that I ask my guests is do you have anything to plug I do actually uh, which is funnily enough about Slash and fan fiction uh, we've got Slash Night uh, coming up at the Marlborough Theatre in Brighton uh, which is on the 12th of February which is a Friday uh, starts at 7 o'clock I believe um, and tickets are, I think, £7. I should really have checked this. <laughs> That's what it said on the last poster, and I'm pretty sure we haven't changed it. Brilliant. But yes, Slash Night, an evening of us talking about Slash and doing readings. Maybe of erotic tooth pulling. Wow. I mean, that is, that is an incentive to get along to that <laughs> night. I mean, although it will be a tremendous disappointment if you go and there isn't erotic tooth pulling. So prepare yourselves for, the, for whatever it might be so that you're not disappointed. <laughs> Um, yeah, and the last thing I ask my guests to do uh, is to say goodbye to the audience. Goodbye, audience. 
that's how that's fine. supposed to go. That's fine. I mean, it's, in a way, yeah. it's an interesting thing. This like saying goodbye to the audience oh. moment. In the like, in a, in a way, it, it's got some rel- sort of some some connotations with what we've been talking about. I like to acknowledge the audience out there um, in a way that you know, I th- yeah, I think is important for artists to do. And then, and also, I like to kind of remind my guests that. Uh, that they've just been talking to other people apart from me and it's always quite interesting to watch them go oh other people oh okay right right how do I talk to them but yeah that's a great way of saying goodbye Um, bye everybody (laughs) Matilda Gregory gets mentioned in today's episode and she's been on Getting Better Acquainted before you can listen back to her conversation and hear from her but I'd also like to give a shout out to Getting Better Acquainted's sister podcast Stand Up Tragedy which has put out the first of its Stand Up Tragedy Presents season of podcasts and that first episode is Matilda Gregory doing her amazing show How To Be Fat which she did uh, as a preview with me before she took it to Edinburgh last year so you can hear the whole of that show which we talk about in her Getting Better Acquainted So go to Stand Up Tragedy and listen to that episode. And if you enjoy it, please share it because I think it's so good. I'd like lots and lots of people to hear it. Uh, That's the first episode in the season, which will include Howl of the Banty by AJ McKenna, which is an amazing show as well, which will be coming out in around about a week and a half's time. And also my solo show, What About the Men? Mansplaining Masculinity, which will be coming out on the 19th of February. On the 18th of February, I am doing it live at the Dogstar in Brixton. Doors open at 7.30. My show will start at 8 o'clock. And then it's followed by Jambi McGrath doing her show, A Last Dance with My Father. What we like to do at Stand Up Tragedy is to try and create a safe space to talk about unsafe things and have people cry until they laugh and laugh until you cry. So if you want that kind of an experience, come to that double bill of Stand Up Tragedy Presents on the 18th. You can find out more about that at www.standuptragedy.co.uk and if you'd like to find out more about my solo show and the survey that I did as part of the research for that show, go over to www.mansplainingmasculinity.co.uk and if you'd like to help me to make this show that you're listening to now and those other shows, please consider donating You can do that if you go over to www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk which will take you to the SoundCloud page where there's a button which will take you to a PayPal donation screen and you can decide how much money you'd like to give to me to help me to keep on making the free stuff that I make. I love making this stuff and I want to keep making it so please, please help me to do that. Next week, the saga of the missing deleted file will continue as I share the eventual conversation that I managed to re-record to try and recapture that moment, which will never be as good as the one that I remember, but hopefully will be very interesting for you guys to listen to. You can follow Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter at GBA Podcast. You can like it on Facebook. www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk is one place you can find it. And remember, there are lots of ways to get better acquainted.